0: welcome to another episode of Fat Banter, Season 3, Episode 69. It's the AFL Semi-Final Review and the Preliminary Final Preview. We're getting right to the pointy end, so, so close where today's podcast is Proudly supported by the team of Matt and Anna at Roller Games and their mad footy board game. Where they're kicking big bags of goals, making turnovers at critical times, and changing the way footy is delivered one game at a time. That's what this new AFL inspired board game is all about. And you can find them on at Roller Games on Instagram, Roller Games on Facebook, and rollergames.com.au that's R-O-L-L-A, To find out a bit more about them, but more importantly to get your hands on a mad footy board game for you and the family. And back this week, well not only are we back this week, because I uh, had a week off last week uh, as I spoke about in the Domestic Sports uh, Review Podcast, uh, which was released yesterday, uh, brought the wonderful and gorgeous Savannah Lila Joy back into the world, so we missed the AFL podcast last week. But we're back this week, and we're back with a terrific guest, uh, a teacher, um, a freelance uh, commentator as well, in fact he's actually doing uh, the Waffle Colts uh, final, a grand final on, uh, on Sunday, so Tune into that on Channel Seven. You'll listen to the dulcet tones of David Lindsay. David Lindsay, how are you? Thanks so much for coming back on the pod. And you excited about the Waffle Grand Final, but also excited about I think almost um, just the greatest round of football preliminary final. Just pure football. Um, you know, take away all the, all the jazz and the pomp and circumstance of the Grand Final. This is where it really is won and lost, like the big games.
1: Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me. And it's always an exciting time of the year, isn't it? There's local finals going on grand final and uh, as you mentioned preliminary finals always exciting and uh Even more exciting for you. Congratulations.
0: Uh, Very kind of you, David Lindsay. And uh, let's now get on to the good stuff. Let's talk about the review. And firstly, we have to do a shout-out to Ron Barassi. And Hall of Fame legend at age 87, unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, Six times Premiership player, four times uh, Premiership coach. uh, Carlton in 1968, 1970. North Melbourne in 1975 and 1977. uh, Playing 200 games, 204 games for Melbourne, 50 games for Carlton, 515 games as a VFL coach but it doesn't stop there in the accolades department with a member of the Order of Australia back in 1997 he was named in the AFL's Team of the Century that's right, the Team of the Century as a rover Uh, he was an original legend in the Football Hall of Fame and Sport Australia Hall of Fame, Um, just David, one of the great legends and sometimes that, uh, uh, you know, Monica gets bandied around far too much, but he truly was a great of this game. Um, What's your view on, uh, a? don't know whether it's possibly been announced um, in regards to the Premiership Cup maybe being named after Ron Barassi. He obviously, you know, coached the VFL uh, back then. We know that uh, now it's the AFL, Um, you know, does should should a vfl great even though he still encapsulates the whole game and you know he pushed for irish players to come in and he he was pushing for you know a national competition even back in the day then um do you think that it's it's a good move to honor someone like that or is it maybe just a victorian centric decision
1: I'll, i look, wouldn't uh, yeah I, w- I wouldn't be concerned if it was if the premiership cup or, or another Another honour in our competition was was uh, named after Ron Barassi. He's obviously yeah. done a number amount for the game as a player, as a coach, just as an advocate of the sport. Um, I think you know people that grew up well before me got to watch him play and, and coach at um, in the VFL, you know, Melbourne, Carlton, North Melbourne. The impact he had at those clubs and the competition as a whole. And then as a teenager, for me, watching him take over the Sydney Swans when they were in tight. Ah, very true. That, um, yeah, that was just a, a very uh, I guess unselfish type of role that he played there knowing that uh, the period that he was involved they were never going to be super successful but hopefully promote the game in that in that state that really didn't have much of a footy background at the time um, he obviously did that uh, exceptionally well and helped to set up what we now just uh, come to expect from Sydney that they're always competitive they're always uh, around about the market they're not challenging for a premiership they're normally um, somewhere around about the eighth anyway so um, yeah. A, a, an unbelievable contribution to the game from from one man and um yeah all the tributes to him uh, well and truly deserved
0: yeah no, spot on and i were well surmised as always um for mine absolutely do not Do do not care. It doesn't bother me. And, you know, it would be a fitting tribute to someone that's given so much in so many different aspects. And you're right. He went to Sydney. Um, He was only there for um, a couple of years, I think it was. But he he sort of got them to the level and they were on the right track after that. Obviously, where they actually finished where he was, they finished um, down down the bottom of the ladder or towards the bottom of the ladder. But he got them on the right track and then they sort of obviously have gone off to, um, you know, in- incredible direction um, since then. Um, so yeah, I, you know, n- naming something after him, whether it's the cup, whether it's something else, I think it has to happen. He's just given far too much. And uh, out of the many clips that I've seen of Ron Barassi, one of my favourites was um, he was I can't remember w- which uh, which team he was actually coaching, but he was uh, having a conversation with a player, and he basically said, "Give me possessions, and I'll shut up." So, Because the game is all about possessions and getting your hands on the ball, so he could not have summed it up any better. Alright, let's get to the review, as in the two uh, the two matches that happened in the semi-final. I guess the big question that everyone's been talking about is, who's the most shocking, or maybe who had the most missed opportunity out of Port and Melbourne to have bundled out in straight sets? Let's first start off with the Ds. Uh, the Ds had 16 more contested possessions, 8 more scoring shots, and despite a much better 49% inside 50 efficiency, Uh, Compared to the week before, it still came down to a 35% scoring accuracy. They actually only kicked 16 goals, 28 in their last two finals. Just abysmal. And their last five shots uh, in that game uh, were actually behinds. And they only scored four goals, 13 in points from turnover. So they had 17 shots generated from turnovers, but could only turn it into, let's carry the one here, 37 points. And that cost them. Um, For the power... It's actually their fifth sudden death final that they've lost since 2014. And they're actually yet to make a grand final under 11 seasons with newly re-signed coach Ken Hickley. Take of that as you will. But uh, they had 19 less contested possessions, 74 less uncontested ball, 16 less clearances, 25 less marks. Um, They just could not get their hands on the ball. But they still managed 53 inside 50s, but here's the killer. And you could say maybe it's just a brilliant GWS defense just a 36% inside 50 efficiency. Um, So, David, do you think out of Melbourne or Port Adelaide, they probably still have enough really, really good talent on their list? So they're probably going to be back up around the mark next year. But out of those two teams, which team do you think really uh, had the missed opportunity?
1: I I think it's Melbourne. I think uh, the D's had had two cracks at it, really. They they wasted their chances against Collingwood the week before, so they probably could have avoided the situation they were in. Last week, anyhow, Um, certainly came charging home against Collingwood but couldn't quite finish it off. And then, uh, yeah, had chances all throughout the game against Carlton. Firstly, to put it beyond Carlton, who had a couple of wounded players out there. Um, And then in the last quarter, so many opportunities there to kick a goal or two that probably just would have put it beyond Carlton in terms of the the cattle they had left and the belief. But um, we know what it's like in any game of sport, but particularly in finals, if you've still got a sniff like Carlton had then you'll keep throwing everything at it, and that's what Carlton it. were able to do. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit like watching a car accident in slow motion. You sort of <laughs> think that something was going to go wrong for Melbourne at the end when they kept missing those opportunities, and that's exactly what happened. Carlton probably only needed a couple of chances to get the ball to their end of the field and um, and convert, which is exactly what they did. And um, Yeah, I think that last minute or so after Carlton's last goal would have been absolute torture for Melbourne fans because... I think they could see it coming. There's a lot of talk from Melbourne fans through social media and and radio, you know, even leading into the game that um you know, this is this is common for them. They quite often dominate most of the stats categories but uh don't finish it off and claim the victory and um unfortunately for them they've done it in back to back finals and now have to sit and watch the rest of it. But no, I think you're right, both sides have got a lot of talent still on their list and they'll both um they'll both look to regenerate some of that talent to um to challenge again next year. I, I don't think we're gonna see Either them drop away too quickly, so um, they'll get more opportunities. But uh, sometimes we see games like both of those teams experienced last week, so leave some scars to deal with the following season.
0: Yeah, and like unfortunately, it just comes back to that old adage: uh, bad kicking is bad football. So you know they had uh, plenty of bites of the cherry. As I said, five uh, five shots, uh, five behinds uh, in that last term, just to give them the buffer that they needed but just open the door slightly even you know going right to that last passage of play jack viney had a number of different options that he could take and could have made kicked it backwards maybe like a safe side kick um but you know tried to take the game on force the turnover and then even i think it was or maybe joel smith maybe someone else someone was was going for the mark they could have either held the player up or just you know um tried to get the fist, went for the intercept, went past the ball, and then that obviously allowed Doherty to, you know, get to much more space to run as far into that 50 and kick it to Blake Acres. And, of course, we all know what happened after that. Now, here about Bat we love to highlight, maybe the lesser lights, you know, the non-sexy players, but um, two players in particular from those two victorious teams on the weekend, both at their third clubs, but both who made massive roles in Jesse Hogan from the Giants, Four goals for nine marks. Four marks inside fifty. And actually forty-eight goals for the season. Quietly surprised. I did not think that he kicked that many. Uh and uh sorry Fremantle fans, but another ex Fremantle player in Blake Acres. Two consecutive finals kicking the uh kicking the final goal of the game. Uh, And the winning goal at that, and we know the week before he actually twice pushed himself back to the last line of defence to place Fingers on the ball and deny Sydney goals. So he did everything he could, Blake Akers, to make sure Carlton got over the line and kicked those two big winning goals. So... The Lesser Lights, Jesse Hogan um, has had a great year, uh, like a, a very positive year for him after you know many, many injuries. Of course, he has overcome testicular cancer as well. Um, his father passed away, of course. Um, so he's had many battles in his life, both on and off the field. But to bounce back the way he um, has done this year has just been terrific. And Blake Akers just got absolutely low-balled low at Fremantle. I think it was maybe 150,000. Um, but uh, Carlton came to the party. They said, "Yeah, you're you're worth way more than that." And he's still probably getting paid unders, to be honest. Um, so that for mine, a- out of everyone that they lost last year, Fremantle, Blake Acres was the biggest one. So David, just really good to see two two good stories. Two very much, um, you know, uh, Blake Akers is definitely a role player. Jesse Hogan, a bit more prominent as a key forward. But um, they had massive plays in those two victories that they had, uh, their teams had, should I say, on the weekend.
1: No, they certainly did. Um, I mean like Acres the last couple of weeks has been unbelievable for someone who, yeah, for, for most of his career has found it hard to find consistency and at, at many many occasions he's been a bit of a bit part player and run yeah. you know, there at the Dockers for a while. It was it was surprising to most people from outside the club that they, they let him go, but um you know, decisions like that get made from time to time. But um he's certainly Made the most of his chances in the last couple of weeks for Carlton, and uh, let's hope his shoulders okay after
0: yeah,
1: I un- know. some challenges with the last fortnight. I'm um, copping a couple of knocks, and uh, he looked very sore throughout most of the game last Friday night. So hopefully for his sake, he'll be okay and can get through uh, the preliminary final this week for them. So um, you know, he's been uh, the man at the right time, the couple of desperate efforts at both ends and it yeah, probably wasn't surprising to see him turn up right at the last moment to kick that goal last week and then yeah, Hogan's form the last month or six weeks has been quite outstanding and uh, it's been part of this Giants revival that we've seen in the second half of the year that now they've got a real key forward up there. It's allowing Riccardi to do a little bit more as the second tall, and then obviously Toby Green um, it just frees him up a little bit more as well when you've got a big, tall target that's going take some marks and keep a lot of attention away from Toby. So uh, it's, it's really made their forward line look extremely dangerous. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's had his battles on and off the field throughout his career, and um, good for him that uh, he's getting some success personally and the team going well at the right time of the year.
0: Yeah, for mine, it's just a really good news story for Jesse Hogan. So um, it's great that he's able to get his football back on track, and yeah, as you said, have some personal success because he's certainly gone through a lot um, in his journey, not only as a footballer, but of course as a person. Now, GWS, they went bang. That was so impressive in that second term, just 11-minute burst from the three-minute mark to the 14th minute mark, the Giants turned around a three-point deficit into a 28-point lead, piling on five unanswered goals. And after that, they also had a run of actually five missed shots, five goals seven to one goals five. It actually could have been so much worse for Port. Um, this actually paved the way um, for their now preliminary final appearance. Where in the first half alone. Uh, GWS won the clearances 29 to 12, decimation, plus 18 in contested possession, plus 78 disposals. In fact, these differentials, were the worst support Adelaide this season. And the GWS Giants actually kicked seven goals from stoppages and 31 more points differential from stoppages, just in that first half alone. Um, So they were just supreme there. And we'll talk about the Giants a little bit more. And by a little bit more, I mean very, very soon. By soon, I mean coming out right now. So let's talk about Collingwood and GWS. Let's get to the uh, preview, uh, one of our preliminary finals. Um, David, this one snuck up on me because since making the 2002 Grand Final, uh, Collingwood had actually gone 12 years without playing in a preliminary final. But hasn't that turned around? Uh, since then, as a club, they'll actually not- notch their 11th preliminary final in 22 seasons, averaging every two years over more than two decades. Just insane the sustained success of this club. I generally. Sort of just like thinking about obviously that they've had a pretty successful you know four or five years. Obviously uh, had the twenty eighteen grand final, unfortunately went down. Um, you know c- could have easily gone the other way after you know leading by um by so much in, in that first quarter, and then of course you know um, you had the regeneration of the list, the fire sale and Brody Grundy and the like, and then you know the last two years have just been a phenomenal. But um, but that the the sustained success every two years being in a preliminary final that certainly surprised me. Um. You just have to give credit to this club, um, just how they've been able just to keep staying top of the tree. We talk about Geelong for being so dominant and having sustained success, but, um, man, Collingwood, they've done it just as much.
1: Yeah, no, they've definitely been very competitive uh, for a long time without having the ultimate success. Two options. 2010 clearly was their year. They probably could have won, maybe should have won in 2011, Geelong got them, uh, Geelong were the one team that seemed to trouble them that year, I think they beat everyone else and uh, just lost the games against Geelong even though they were a few games ahead of Geelong on the table and yeah, Nathan Buckley managed to keep them up there after Malthouse's time, they they were always uh, contending without actually getting through to a, a grand final of in 2018 and we know how close they got on that occasion and then... Um, yeah, the, the little dip that they've had, the bounce back's been quite remarkable how quickly they've come back. It looked as though they were probably set for a period of, um, of struggle there when they had to get rid of a, a, a number of players. But, uh, yeah, Craig McCray coming in has, uh, turned them around really quickly and, um, you know, they've been the best team throughout the season. It's just a matter now for them. Can they, can they finish it off with a strong fortnight? They're going to have a huge challenge this week against the Giants who, you know, I think everyone's saying they're, they're the informed team of the comp right at the moment. So, um, much as Collingwood come in with the, the better record for the season and a week off, uh, that'll certainly hold them in good stead and home ground advantage as well, but I don't think the Giants are going to fear anyone the way they're playing, so yeah, fascinating little contest coming up tomorrow
0: night. No, the, the Giants, they're definitely, a um, they, they have the mentality of, you know, we're going to play anyone, anywhere, at any time, whether it's the Moon, whether it's MCG, whether it's Tasmania, whether it's Ballarat, they will take on any challenge that so they've got, and our one man leading the charge is former Captain Stephen Canelio. Absolutely, just doing what he should do even without the captain to his name he's had a renaissance of a year and uh, he was best on ground on the weekend for mine uh, firstly going into halftime he had 22 disposals and a goal and he actually finished with 30 disposals eight clearances five inside 50s 13 1 three score involvements and two goals again he'll be a major player come the preliminary final this weekend And uh, hasn't that midfield just turned around you know of course you know Josh Kelly's just in terrific form Stephen cannellio uh, and then of course uh, you've got Tom Green which will get to very, very soon on Tom Green. Big raps on him. Uh, But GWS as well, in particular, they love to attack from turnovers, being the third best pressure side in the competition, um, force the third most front half turnovers. And across the past two months, they've actually averaged 101 points, where for the Pies, they're bottom six for opposition scores per inside 50. So this, for mine, will be where the game will actually be won and lost. And if the Pies' defense can stand up. So they stood up, for the most part, against Melbourne. um, But, of course, Melbourne kicked inaccurately. But are they going to be able to do that against a potent force of, uh, you know, Toby Green, Toby... Toby Bedford, uh, we've got Jesse Hogan, of course, uh, and then Jake Riccardi, and throw in even Brent Daniels. Um, they've got many, many weapons that can tear apart um, Collingwood's defense. Um, so interested to hear your thoughts, David, on on those stats and the, the kind of games that these two teams play, and I guess leading into the Magpies, they have, they've only played once in 27 days. Is that good or bad? Is that going to affect it? How do you see this game playing out?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between the two teams. We've got coaches that have come through the, the Damien Hardwick school, I guess, that both work with him. And so their the game style is based loosely around what Richmond did for their successful period with, with little tweaks that have suited both teams. So I think um, if they both play their best footy, we're going to get an exciting game of footy where it's flat out, end-to-end stuff. But uh, obviously it's a final and, uh, and both teams are going to be a little bit cautious at various points as well. So I'm sure we won't get a a shootout where both teams end up with 100 points plus. But yeah. um, no, I think it, it's, it's fascinating looking at the two teams. you probably argue, as you mentioned there, that the, the 5 firepower up forward probably is slightly in favour of the Giants. Um, over the season, Collingwood's defence has been pretty much the best in the league. So you, how they match up against them will be interesting to see. Darcy Moore is obviously back after his hamstring strain a month or so ago. Uh, we know Brady Maynard uh, was able to get off at the tribunal, so um, so he'll be there alongside Quiner, who's been outstanding as well, and Nathan Murray's done an excellent job in defence. So there's 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 a, a whole set of strong defenders there for Collingwood. That um, the matchups will be interesting against the Giants. Uh, at the other end, you know, you've got Sam Taylor, who does such a brilliant job in defence for for GWS. So he'll take one of the tools of Collingwood, whether it gets Mychech or McStay. We'll wait to see, and then. Uh, I think Collingwood have got a few, a, a bit of a different look with someone like Jamie Elliott, who's a smaller size, but he still plays like a leading forward. So similar to Toby Green in that sort of way, but, um, but probably Green's got the advantage once the ball hits the ground. Um, so the matchups are interesting. I think, um, the midfield on paper, the Giants are extremely strong. Uh, Collingwood have some depth running through there as well. Uh, I think you neither know, team really likes to play a lockdown player. So, um, be fascinating to see whether anyone really goes to watch an opponent closely. Um, probably in terms of finals experience, Collingwood probably just have the edge there. They should be fresher. It's always a question these days about the, the one game in four weeks when we have that pre-finals bye, and then you win the first week of the finals. Um, in most cases, it still works out to be an advantage, but we have seen one or two teams sneak through from you know the bottom four in the finals. And take advantage of the fact that they're continuing to play throughout the final series. So um, it's definitely changed over the past seven or eight years since we've had that pre finals bye. Um, I, I think it's going to be close. I don't think we're going to get a, a huge shootout. Collingwood have to be aware that the Giants have blown teams away sort of in a 10, 15-minute burst, mostly in the second quarter the last couple of weeks. So Collingwood tend to start pretty strongly. So we might see Collingwood start strongly, the Giants hit back in the second quarter, and then be set up for a classic second half. But... Um, Probably just leaning towards Collingwood just on that little bit of freshness. There's a question mark over a couple of Giants with injuries, uh, particularly their big ruckman in Briggs, who hurt yeah, his shoulder last week. Um, that could be a real challenge for them. Um, they don't have a lot to back him up at this stage. Whereas Collingwood have Cox and Cameron, who might be able to work him over a bit as well. So uh, just just leaning towards Collingwood a little bit there, but I think it's going to be a, a fascinating battle and. Uh, no one's going to be too surprised if if the Giants continue this run that they're on. I don't think it's going to be a um, a stunning upset like it. It might be more of an upset in the other game if uh, if the lesser favoured side in Carlton get over the top of Brisbane. But um, I, I think I think Collingwood just the, the slight advantage.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just so intrigued. I'm just absolutely so excited for this contest. It's just going to be amazing, and I really hope it just goes down to the wire. I agree. I think that Collingwood are going to come out fast and hard. I think they'll get to maybe two, three-goal lead at quarter time, and then the Giants will probably pull it back to half time and Then it's just going to be an absolute nail-biter right, right down to the very end. Goal for goal. It's going to be tough, hard contested possession, um, yeah, it could just be one of those games for the ages, or at least that's what I hope it is. So um, let's get to the the maybe the maybe less exciting and maybe possibly could be the less predictable. But hey, who knows? We've seen stranger things happen in football, and that's Brisbane and Carlton. Now, food for thought on Charlie Kernow, of course, had a terrific season, had a terrific two seasons. But... Um, Had a bit of a stat here, he's actually kicked more than three goals just five times this year and only once against a top eight site. With this season, he actually averages 4.08 goals, remarkable, per game against non-finalists. But the team's featured in September, just 2.15 goals. Interesting, and can Charlie step up in the big moments? And if he doesn't again, and Carlton get bundled out, which on paper... Um, says says that it's going to happen. Now, football football games are not determined by paper lineups, of course, but um, maybe there might be a bit of pressure for Charlie. Um, you know, obviously he feasted on uh, West Coast a number of times. Um, but uh, just food for thought. We'll see what Charlie does on the big stage. Um, Sam Doherty after dislocating a left shoulder in the second term in the win versus Melbourne, but more importantly, he battled testicular cancer and recovered. He played his first Finals game, after 164 games. And, of course, 10 years in the system. And what a game it was. He had 19 disposals, six score involvements, and two goal assists. David Sam Doherty, just so courageous. Another one uh, in in the Blake Acres category. You know, tough niggles, but kept on battling on. Dislocated shoulder is certainly nothing to sneeze at, but um, he just carried on because his team needed him. And Charlie Curno, Man, those numbers really sort of um, hit me between the eyes. And, uh, Charlie... Carlton really need you to step up because if he doesn't I know that Harry Mackay haven't seen the lineups I'm presuming that Harry Mackay is back in the team Um, one of those two is going to have to kick a bag of three or four for them to be any chance against a rampant Brisbane Lions
1: yeah no you're right it's it's surprising about Charlie Curnow he's been a star for a a couple of years now and uh, I think most people would expect that he's a key this week so um, it's time for him to step up for Carlton they're going to need him to to really put in a big performance to get over the line, uh, yeah, Mackay is back for for Carlton, and the bad news for Brisbane is that Jack Payne's out injured. Oh team. no! In the for them, he's done a great job. Darcy Gardner comes Darcy back. Darcy Gardner,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: He's a reasonable replacement, but Payne's yeah. been for probably eighteen months now, so um, that does balance things a little bit towards Carlton. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think Brisbane. If one of the finals is a chance to blow out, this one's the one. I think Carlton will give everything they've got. Um, obviously, got a couple of wounded soldiers, Black Acres and, and Sam Doherty, as, as you mentioned, both with injuries from last week. They've both been selected, so we wait to see whether they do get across the line to start on Saturday afternoon. But um, you'd think that there's still some doubt over at least one of them. Uh, great for Doherty in particular that he gets to play in a preliminary final with all that he's gone through. In his life, um, just wonderful to see such a popular player in the league and um, I think everyone's enjoying the fact he's getting to play finals, but he's got a sniff of a grand final right now as well.
0: And he is, does.
1: Um, I just get the feeling with this one, with Brisbane, the way they play at the Gabba, unless the occasion gets the better of them, and, and there is that chance that that could happen where you know there's a little bit of nerves, a lot of expectation that they'll win this one comfortably. I just think that they may well get on a roll here and We've seen teams in the past who have been on a, a ride like Carlton have, but they're they're a bit wounded, a uh, bit sore, um, probably a bit lucky to get through last week. Um, there is that chance that they'll throw everything at Brisbane early and then once the Lions break them you know, midway through the second quarter, third quarter, it yeah. could get a bit up for them. So, um, look, I know there's a lot of Carlton fans out there that um, are loving the ride that they're on and hoping that it goes all the way to the grand final, but um, I, I do get the feeling this one could could potentially get a bit ugly in Brisbane. We've seen how good they are up at the Gabba and and how they can blow teams apart up there. And, um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if this one blows out before the end of the game.
0: Yeah, and I think some of the reasons for mine and my concerns for Carlton is I'm worried about their scoring power. Um, They've actually got wins in their first two weeks of finals with scores of just 74 and 73. I spoke about Charlie Kerner maybe being a non-factor. He only got two goals in their two finals games. You could say maybe that's a good thing that they're winning, but 74 and 73 is not going to cut against such scoring strength that Brisbane do have. Um, that kind of scoreline Just, I don't know if it can match up. And the Blues also need to take care of the ball. They actually turned the ball over 92 times last Friday night, with the AFL average being just 69. Uh, But the Ds simply couldn't punish. Not so much the Ds, as in Melbourne, they just couldn't take advantage of all those turnovers that they forced on the Blues. Um, The Blues also had the most turnovers across the past six weeks. And going against that, the Lions are number one for scores from turnovers at 54.8, plus it's not their sole avenue to scoring. For since round 19, when they haven't been able to get the turnover and turn it into scores, they're number one at scores from clearances. And finally, they're number two for scores and they're number two for scores per inside 50 this reeks of, of unfortunately and well described and well sort of you know played played out by you David that you know Carlton are going to come out firing they're going to give it their best shot but melbourne oh, sorry brisbane are probably going to finally get on top second early third quarter and then as you said could turn quite ugly in you know four six eight goals but um tom will tell how it all unplays uh, how it all unfolds should we say but um man The first one's gonna be super intriguing, and the second one could be a little bit easier. But uh, I've been on Brisbane all year, so I'm hoping that they don't fall at the final hurdle. Um, They've been in the mix for three, four years, preliminary finals, semifinals, but um, just haven't done enough. This is their best opportunity outside of the COVID year, where, of course, they made the grand final. It was at the Gabba, and just a golden opportunity missed. But hopefully they've learned their lessons. Um, A very similar squad that they've had over the last three or four seasons. Not too many new additions outside of, you know, Jack Gunston and the like. But um, let's see if they can finally make it to the big dance yet again. And um, as to who they'll play, well... The answer is going to be uh, told by tomorrow evening. All right, let's now get to some stats of the week. Now, the first one for mine is all about the final eight system because under the current final eight system that we have in place, we've actually had 24 seasons of qualifying and semi-finals where between 2000 and 2013, 26 of the 28 qualifying final losers rebounded to win their semis. But since then, it's just 10 of 20. And that just shows that the evenness of the competition is at its finest. Finals are hard to win right there where anyone can win on their day. David, surely this is a good thing. Uh, you know, for, for so long, um, even if you did lose the qualifying final most of the time, those teams came back, won it, as we said, 26 of 28 in those first 13 years um, when uh, from the 2000s. But then since then, only 10 of 20. So those 5th to 8 teams, they're suddenly more dynamic, you know, a little bit frightening um, and, you know, scary. And they can take it to the teams that are in the top four. And, you know, we had two legitimate teams with momentum rolling behind them, GWS and Carlton, and they have proved that, you know, you take your chances and uh, you can obviously make your way all the way to the second last day, or not so much second last day in September, but the second last week of the AFL season. So um, just it's good to see that uh, you know we've got teams that come out of the blue that might pull a Western Bulldogs back in 2016 and go all the way to the big dance and get the win.
1: Yeah, I think the AFL love it, don't they? They, um, <laughs> yeah. we've got a top eight, you know, for a couple of reasons. One's to keep more teams interested, and uh, and plenty of finals to to get some eyeballs on TV and make a bit of money for the AFL. But also, it's that uh, you know, any given Sunday idea that yeah. not on any weekend. So the AFL love that idea. I guess the only question now is we've had that pre-finals buy for a number of years, and that's that seems to have changed the way the finals are played, which. Which is fine, and I mean, we've got an uneven fixture, so the finals should be, you know, an opportunity for teams who are in that fifth fifth to eighth to maybe prove that they are good enough to match one to four and perhaps the the draw didn't didn't look after them or whatever it might be. But um, I think the other question now is, do do we need that buy at that point or do we have the buy in the week leading up to the grand final in case, let's hope it doesn't happen, but in case someone gets concussed this Mm. weekend? And if someone gets concussed this weekend, we know they missed the grand final, so... Uh, I think that that question will raise its head if, if that is the case this week. If someone yeah. does go down, discussion and has to miss the grand final, yep. I reckon that debate will um, will dominate grand final week. But um, if it if it doesn't happen, then it might sort of stay in the background for a little while. But certainly, yeah, since the um, since the the change of the system where there's the pre finals by, then uh, it's definitely given that fifth to eighth group a much better chance. They can rest up a little bit, reset, and uh, put the pressure on the top four.
0: Yeah, it certainly brought them back into the finals competition and I'm one hundred percent in agreement with you and uh, an idea that's been floated around by a number of different people on a number of different podcasts and, you know, radio programs that uh, you do have the week off after the preliminary final. Um, in that in that first week, you of course have all of your awards. You know your AFL Players Association MVP, the Brownlow, of course, which is normally anyway all Australian, etc., etc. But also that middle weekend, the weekend where you don't have any football, that's where you have your waffle, Sandful, your VFL Grand Finals. Uh, you even have you know a couple of curtain raises of you know the the best under eighteen players somewhere at Marvel Stadium or the MCG. You make it a festival of football. Um, you know, highlighting the state leagues um, that, that they get their time to shine because you know, there's no AFL football on. Of course, you you still have AFLW, and that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, for mine, it's it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, I think they've they've got to do it. But, but the big one and the big reason that you highlighted it is and you know we, we could uh, argue and talk about this till the cows come home about how many days um, players should be having off for concussion. Um, of course. Uh, the 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 amount of days that they have is set in stone for now it could change but um if someone does get concussed in the upcoming prelim and they are not going to be available because the turnaround time is far too much uh, as you have uh once again surmised perfectly david that um that will be all the rage and all the talk during uh, during finals week, so time will tell how it all unfolds. But interesting debate indeed. Um, well, it's been a heavy GWS theme, lots of love for the Giants, and you know, there's nothing wrong with a big, big sound. And GWS, they've actually now won at 11 venues this season, and I'm going to say it again, truly proving they're a play anywhere, play anyone, anytime kind of men team, kind of any uh, team and mentality. Just love it. You have to uh, um, Love their admiration. Also, their socials too, you know, that they cheekily came out the week before the Port Adelaide game and said, Adelaide fans, get on board, get involved you don't like the power so why don't you support us and then after straight after that they've asked everyone else to get on board you know if you don't like Collingwood you should support us so just love how they go about their business and lastly on the orange tsunami and let's focus from the green without any from the Giants in Tom Green where from round 21 since returning from a hamstring injury he's actually averaged 34 and a half disposals 17.3 contested possessions seven clearances five 0.7 inside 50s and 5.3 tackles and just some of those games I won't go through every single stat but um, from round 21 38 disposals 20 contested obsessions 31 disposals 2 goals 39 disposals 10 clearances 35 disposals and 20 contested obsessions in the elimination final 35 disposals nine inside 50s and last week 29 disposals and eight clearances I'm just gonna say it again I'm gonna double down this guy's on track for a top five play in the competition category I said it about a month ago, and I'm sticking with it um, David GWS they're just they win any anywhere they go. They've just got this absolute self-belief in themselves Um whether it's going to be a bridge too far. No uh, pun intended, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, having to go back from Adelaide and, you know, uh, I think uh, Adam Kingsley actually gave them the morning off or, like, to, to have a bit of a sleep in. And then uh, they might have had a couple of days of training, um, you know, uh, getting a Thursday afternoon flight and then, of course, getting themselves in ready for tomorrow evening's game. And Tom Green just is a freak, man. He's, he's going to be and I think he's only maybe 21 or 22, he's going to be a player of the future.
1: Yeah, well, he's pretty much a player of the now, isn't he? Um, yeah,
0: very much. Tough. Well said.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, but how far he can take it. Uh, he's he's in a great midfield there with, with Kelly Canilio and a few others that roll through there as well. So um, an exciting footballer who's developed beautifully this year. I think we knew it was coming, but, um, but yeah, they've... they've the way they've been able to release players to other clubs, regenerate their list, just continue to top up with with talented youngsters, and, and you, you look at the players that they've let go, there's some very good names there, but um, they're not missing too many of them, so the players that let go haven't turned into you know, out-and-out champions, they've been very good players at the clubs they've gone to, but um, they're not players that the Giants have missed too much and they've been able to replace them pretty well. And yeah, I mean, 11 different venues in the season. Most clubs don't play at 11 venues throughout a season, so to be able to do that is is a phenomenal effort, um, and no doubt, you know, the reason why they're sitting where they're sitting right now. And look, who knows? We might be talking in a week's time that they're in a grand final, which would be amazing. But um, even if they're not, they're in such a good position to uh, to build for next year, and they'll be a massive threat for the next couple of seasons with so much good young talent and so much confidence now, knowing that they can win anywhere, and. Um, and travel is one of those things that, that teams always find difficult. Even the teams that travel as regularly as the Giants do or our teams over here in WA, um, you know, that, that travel does mount up over the year. And yet the Giants, they travel often, probably not as far as, as the Eagles or the Dockers, but still it's it's that hassle of getting to the airport and sleeping in a different bed and, and all of those things that go with travel. So they've done, a, done an amazing job to win at 11 different venues and uh, thoroughly deserve to be where they are right now.
0: And I think also as well like those who played against um, Saint Kilda at the MCG, I think it was fifty or sixty thousand. So and you know, so like pretty pretty decent, uh, you know, crowd to be playing in front of. Uh, they obviously were at the Adelaide Oval. I don't think there were as many as they had anticipated. I think it was forty or forty-five um, with the capacity of um, just over fifty, uh, I believe. Um, but then obviously tomorrow night there's going to be ninety to ninety-five thousand and probably, you know, there's only going to, let's just say it's 95, and 90 of those are going to be black and white, there's going to be 5,000 GWS supporters, it's a different dynamic, and Fremantle experienced that in their semi-final um, against the Pies last year, just, you know, the crowd's going to be ridiculous, it's going to be off the hook, if I'm allowed to say that, as a 36-year-old, um, but, uh, like, it's, it's going to be something that they're going to have to get used to, um, a different kind of vibe. They, of course, have played on the big stage, um, the, the biggest of them all, GWA, so maybe it won't over all them, but just something else to consider. All right, just a couple of quick ones for the deep dive on our two WA teams, just some points of uh, points of contention and a good chance to have a bit of a chat. Um, Fremantle, to the surprise of absolutely no one, Caleb Sarong won the Doig medal last Tuesday, uh, with Andrew Brayshaw, Luke Ryan, Luke Jackson, Hayden Young rounding out the top five. But for my... The big question is: Will Brody? He's the curious one. Uh, three years left to run on his contract. He's gone from playing 24 games, averaging 27 disposals, five tackles, and six clearances, to playing just five games this year, 21 disposals, four tackles, and five clearances. Um, so, of course, Diego O'Meara taking his spot. Hayden Young in 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 the uh, the back part as well too. Um, But in particular, recently what he's done at Peel since coming back uh, during the finals, where he again was best on ground in Peel's preliminary final win. He had 25 disposals, 8 tackles and 7 clearances. And before that, in the other two finals, he actually averaged, he's averaging 27 disposals. 10 clearances and 7 tackles. Um, The amount of sort of AFL games that he's had this year, um, it just has obviously diminished because sort of David Mundy went out and then they brought in uh, Jago Mira. But then the dynamic clearly just didn't seem to work. I, I continue to scratch my head throughout the season. I'm like, this is a guy that can get his hands on the ball. I get it. He's slow. Maybe you've got Sarong, and Brody, just all slow players. But... He's strong, he's big bodied. That was what they missed um, as, as far as I was concerned. And it's probably not going to happen because I'm sure they value him as a depth player. God forbid Caleb Strong or Andrew Brach will get injured next year. But, you know, these things happen. So you want to have a player like Will Brody. But, you know, um, pie in the sky thinking, what about a move down the road to West Coast David? He would be perfect in, uh, in blue and gold. Um, but uh, do you think that Will Brody is is one of those players that is going to you know, carry that chip on his shoulders? Going, I'm going to work my um, you know proverbial off in the off season, um, come preseason. I'm going to come back even fitter than I was um, in that 2022 year. Uh, get my spot and uh, have a terrific year. How do you think this is going to play out for Will and Fremantle in particular? It's been a,
1: an interesting watch because. He was such a such an impressive player last year and he fell out of favour very quickly at the start of this year and yeah, really yeah. struggled to get back in and he's definitely leveled above the waffles So yeah. uh there's, there's no doubt he's he's at least a borderline AFL player and um yeah, I think we saw him obviously the the Suns let him go to Freo and he, he took that as his real opportunity and no doubt he worked hard on his fitness and got himself into a great position to take a spot in the Freo lineup and and as I said, so successful in uh, 2022. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him go away and, and work really hard over the, the off-season and put himself right back in the mix again next year. Um, I, I was surprised to see him sort of discarded so quickly and uh, for whatever reason, he found it hard to get back in. So um, I, w- I wouldn't rule him out just a bit. Yeah, he's probably one that the Eagles wouldn't mind having for a little while. Um, but uh, there's probably quite a few around the place that would uh, comfortably fit into their lineup just at the moment. So... Yeah, he's a watch for me. It's it'll be fascinating to see what sort of shape he comes back. Uh not that he was out of shape in particular, but yeah. I guess the deficiencies there. You mentioned his pace um and his, his disposal's not always the most accurate. So yeah. it's a tough midfield to break into. There's some good youngsters in there and uh and they're not gonna give up their spot too easily and there's a couple of good ones coming through like Johnson and Heras- Erasmus.
0: Erasmus, yeah. Uh,
1: Wait to see what Frem, Fremantle might uh, do around uh, you know, trading for draft picks. I'm not sure. They don't, don't have a lot to offer having given away some draft picks over the last couple of years. But who knows, depending on, uh, I know Liam Henry's said that he wants to go, so there might be a pick that comes in for him. So they may well look to, to bring in more young midfielders as well. So, um, yeah, tough one for Brody to get back in, but I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't go away and put in a massive pre-season and and give himself every opportunity at the start of uh, next year to get back into the best 22.
0: Yeah, I, I really do hope that's the case. It's just it was a really curious situation. But uh, as you said, just how quickly he fell out of favour, like just was one of the first ones gone. And yeah, the other player that um that you touched on is um Matt johnson who played a lot of midfield time, obviously a, a bit of wing too, bit bit of half forward. But um yeah, he looks like he's sort of primed to be one of those upcoming midfield spots. So yeah, interesting to see how it all goes. And just a couple of quick ones for West Coast. are uh, to their delistings in midfielders Xavier O'Neill. Um, um, the Waffle Stalwart, Greg Clark, and Connor West, our mid-season recruit. Our forward Isaiah Winder, key defender Luke Foley, and utility Sam petreski Um, David, any of them really surprising, or you know, could they be worthwhile, any of those as a rookie listing? Or does the team just need to move on from these players and look ahead with a clean slate? Yeah,
1: I think probably the only one that surprised me a bit there perhaps was Piotrowski-Seaton, but um, he hasn't had much of an impact in in his time. He was one that they obviously worked pretty hard to get him back across the WA and move him from Carlton. So that was probably slightly surprising to me. Uh, The others, not so much. Uh, Xavier O'Neill probably had a few games during the year where he performed quite well, but we haven't seen a lot of uh, positive stuff really from Clark West and Foley. Um, and, and, certainly Winder hasn't, um, hasn't done a whole lot in his time on the Eagles list either. So, yeah, unfortunately for the Eagles, there's, there's quite a few players in that, um, in that bracket that, uh, over the last couple of years have had plenty of opportunities due to injury, COVID, all the challenges that the Eagles have had. Um, and, yeah, admittedly, they've been playing in a team that's severely undermanned, so they probably haven't had the support to, uh, that, that other players might get at various times of their career to start their career with with a lot of good players around them to help out, but um, no, they do need to make a lot of changes, clear out some space for some some new players that will come in. Um, they're going to, I imagine, hit the draft pretty hard over the next couple of years before um, the Tasmanian team team comes in and takes all the draft picks for a couple of seasons. So um, no, I wasn't too surprised to see quite a few names. Start to be dropped off the Eagles' list, and, they, and they, they, I imagine will be a, a few more before um, before draft time.
0: Yeah, indeed. No, I agree, and you know, there's there's no one in there for mine that's like, oh, I can't believe they delisted them. So uh, I feel sorry a little bit for Xavier O'Neill. He's been the whipping boy of the club, unfortunately. But you know, four or five years on the list, and he just hasn't reached his potential. And maybe you could come, you could say that um, what have the development coaches been doing at West Coast? And that's probably a valid and fair fair question. So that um, they need a big overhaul. And speaking of overhaul, it's continuing because they made a couple of off-field changes as well with long-time chief executive officer. Uh, Trevor Newsbert not seeking a contract beyond October 2024. The club now searching for a success after 25 years in the role. It's time. Uh, Everyone's been calling for it all year. And uh, it finally got um, officially unveiled, uh, I guess, released uh, last week. Um, There wasn't really too much more information that was given. and That maybe uh, Trevor Newsbert was a little bit cagey uh, with, uh, you know, the reasoning as to why it didn't happen sooner. But, hey, it's done now, which is good. And they can start to find someone to bring in you know new ideas new voices but what he's done for the club has been simply remarkable but maybe could have moved on a little bit sooner. And they've also locked in Dr. Matthew Innes. Uh, He's accepted the role of high-performance manager, having previously been to the Western Bulldogs, uh, being head of this role since 2015. We're also outside of football. Matthew has prepared Olympic athletes as a senior strength and conditioning coach for the Malaysian track cycling sprint team, where the team actually won an Olympic silver medal. So just a fun fact, there you go for uh, Dr. Matthew Innes. So welcome to the club, uh, Dr. Matthew. Well played to you, sir, on getting a very... um, an important job because uh, injuries, suffice to say, have been uh, a big battle for West Coast over the last two seasons, and probably stretching to three in particular. I'm sure Elliot Yo uh, would uh, love, and hopefully, um, Doctor Doctor Ennis can uh, unlock some secrets and get him back on the park. Same with Jeremy McGovern. Many, many players that they have missed such valuable uh, game time as well. And uh, so, David, um, good, good good decision to finally uh, you know see Trevin Isbut come out, and I guess. Uh, move on to allow new faces to come into the club and I uh, don't know much about uh, Dr. Matthew Innes apart from what I just said um, do you in your uh, obviously many many contacts that you have in football and being around uh, you know opposing teams you know, don't, do you know much about uh, this young gentleman?
1: Uh, he's got a very good reputation and uh, spent a bit of time in Perth before playing cricket for WA. He's Correct,
0: played. that's right.
1: Cricketer for Victoria and for Western Australia. He played um, his cricket at Bazewell and Morley when he was in Perth and uh but played a lot for WA as well. So uh, popular man around cricket circles and um and I think he's been someone that the Bulldogs have really enjoyed having at their club for, for a number of seasons now. So uh, no, I think that's a positive uh, move for the Eagles for him and um Trevor Nisbet's been an outstanding servant of the West Coast Eagles football club for for two and a half decades. So there's been a lot of good that's come out and there's there's certainly some some other areas of his time that um, you know will be part of the, the spotlight when when they, everyone reviews his performance, his time. But um, I mean, overall, you look at the strength of the Eagles for 25 years, and he's been the man in charge. So gee, there's a lot of uh, a lot of ticks that go next to his name for, for his time at the Eagles
0: no you're spot on there and you're like yes um, the the club's certainly a business uh, we know how much money that well we know reportedly and you know, speculation about how much money they've got in the bank you know between 50 and 60 million based on the figures that get sort of thrown out by some people you know 100 plus thousand members so from that aspect um, you know just fantastic but he's also was the overseer of many uh, dark days within the club as well and especially the last three years in, in particular they were under his watch as a CEO so you have to take the good as well with the bad so um and uh yeah let's hope that uh, uh obviously our new oh sorry the west coast new high performance manager can get more players on the park more often all right we're not gonna do the tips because we're just gonna go straight to the crystal ball um the last time they're gonna do it in fact uh David I'm hoping to touch base with you next week to get a couple of uh tips for first goal uh, your your winner margin and the like and we're gonna do that with uh all the guests that have been on but before we get too far ahead of ourselves David, I'm going to keep the question very, very simple. I think I'm pretty sure I know who, who you're leaning to based on what you've told us. And I've been, I've been on this one uh, numerous times across the whole season. But, David, who's going to be in the grand final?
1: Yeah, I think I have to go Collingwood and uh, and Brisbane. I'm, I'm very confident on the Lions. I can't see them getting beaten this week. Uh, Collingwood's the one that probably has a little question mark just with the, the quality, quality of the football that the Giants have played over the last uh, couple of months, in particular their first two finals. So... Uh no, I think uh I'll go with, with the bookies and the popular choices at the moment of uh of Collingwood and Brisbane for uh, for the grand final this year.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think it's going to be a rematch uh, for the first time since two thousand and three in the grand final. I've been asking myself this question many times during the podcast when I've actually predicted um, whether it's going to be right. Who knows? But uh, Brisbane versus Collingwood. But I could never remember when they actually played. But finally heard it uh, this week. So two thousand and three, the last time they played in a grand final, and I think it might happen again. All right, that is the end of our podcast. Uh, that, that, of course, was season three, episode sixty nine, looking back at the semi finals and ahead to the. the greatest week in football as far as I'm concerned, just pure football, take away all the flash, the, the pizzazz, you know, the sexiness and the jazz of course of the grand final week. This is just where everyone, if you're a pure football watcher, This is the one to get involved. Uh, David Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on board. Best of luck uh, with your Waffle Colts call uh, for for the grand final for them. I'll be listening and very, very keen because I myself will will declare my hand. I'm a Perth Demon supporter. So a long suffering Perth Demon supporter. So I'm hoping that Colin Livingston and his team can get them over the line um, and uh, get some silverware down at down at Lath Lane Park. Um, but again, thanks so much. Hopefully, we might be able to get you on for a couple of minutes next week to get your tips, first goal scorer and the like. But um, look after yourself. Best of luck with your call, and thanks again, mate. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Adam. All right. If you haven't already, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a rating, and leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform, be it Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can like us on Facebook, and, of course, you can follow us on Instagram. Best of luck to your team if they're still in there. If you haven't got a ticket, get on down to the grand final for the West Australian Football League. Uh, it's going to be a cracker of a contest. East Fremantle up against the Peel Thunder. And, of course, the Colts will be before that and the reserves right at the very start of the day. Um, but otherwise, uh, both the Colts and the league game will be on Channel 7. Of course, the Colts will be... Uh, great David Lindsay. Now look after yourself, guys. Stay safe and I will be to connect with each Yours truly, David Lindsay, our guest. We're out for now.